0: All right, Alexander, let's start things off with uh, Elensky's trip to the U.S. And uh, he was he was in uh, the U.S. on Monday. Actually, he was in Argentina for the inauguration of Malay. I don't know if you want to comment about that very quickly. And then he flew to the United States. And today he's meeting with uh, with Biden and. There are reports that he's going to meet with various senators as well as with uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Johnson. And I think that's the that's probably the big meeting um, to try and get Johnson to to approve the sixty one billion. But there's really not much information as to the reason for uh, uh, Zelensky's trip to the United to the United States. I think the trip to Argentina was was a cover. I think the Biden White House told Malay invite him to. To Buenos Aires, and that'll give us an excuse to to invite him to the United States instead of telling Zelensky from Kiev, "Come to the U.S. now. We want to talk to you." It provides a little bit of, of a cover and doesn't make it look like the Biden White House is in is in such a panic mode. That, that's just my thoughts about the the trip to Argentina. Um, anyway, uh, your your thoughts about uh, Argentina very quickly, and then the the uh, meetings that are going to take place in uh, in D.C. today.
1: Yeah, well, the, fir- the first thing to say is I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, the Millet trip, the trip to Buenos Aires by Zelensky, uh, it has all the looks of diplomatic cover, of uh, uh, providing cover, not to Zelensky, but to the White House. They know that for many people in Washington, he is a deeply unpopular person and that the White House... Uh, that, the, that the the president has suffered political damage by the closeness of his apparent association with Zelensky. So this way, the White House is able to say, well, you know, he was conveniently in the Americas to meet with Millais, so what more natural thing to do than to invite him to come to Washington and have our discussion there. So just to say this, I think you're absolutely right, and it's the first the first time I've heard anybody mention that. But you're, it, it makes complete sense. And if you follow this story as closely as we have done, you can see why your assessment of this is completely 100% correct. Now, that already tells us a few things about this visit, which is that um, the first thing to say is that this visit bears the hallmarks of the kind of move that people make when we are starting to enter an end game. And I think the more people have been following events in and around Ukraine, the more clear that it is an end game that we're looking into. So, you know, you have these strange meetings, hurriedly set up in this odd kind of way, um, get Zelensky to Buenos Aires. He runs into Orban <laughs> there, by the way, and the videos of that are just Hilarious. I mean, I find them hilarious. I mean, you could see that the two men detest each other. You could see that Orban was trying to explain things to Zelensky, and you could see the look of thunder on Zelensky's face um when he had to meet Orban. So I'm pretty sure that was not what he wanted. But anyway, he's now in Washington and the reports I heard this morning is that obviously he's gonna meet Biden himself. He's also going to meet with some senators. Um, apparently, it's been arranged jointly by Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, always an enthusiast for support for Ukraine, but very importantly, he is being kept away from members of the House of Representatives. (laughs) The administration knows perfectly well that if he met the members of the House of Representatives, well, they didn't like him before. They'll like them even less this time. So they're keeping him away from meeting them. So the only person from the House of Representatives that he is actually going to meet is Mike Johnson. Now, Mike Johnson is... He's starting to impress me as a rather shrewd operator. I mean, I might be wrong, but he knows that there is an increasing um, backlash amongst Republicans in Congress about further against further aid to Ukraine. Uh, he goes and says all the time that um, you know we do understand that this is important and it's a priority. But we can't authorise funding unless two conditions are met. Firstly, the Biden administration must provide us with a plan. They must tell us what it is exactly that they're hoping to achieve in Ukraine, because we don't know. They've never explained it. And of course, that's already deadly because the Biden administration doesn't have a plan. I think that's become absolutely clear over the last um, few weeks. They do have a plan about how they want to handle the debacle in Ukraine. We'll come to that in a moment. But they don't have a plan for winning the war in Ukraine. That is the fundamental difference. And Johnson has honed in on that. And he also very cunningly, in my opinion, um, exploited the fact that when the administration put together it was a 106 billion dollar a package aid to Israel, A to Taiwan, A to Ukraine, they also lumped it together with funding for the border, and of course, what Johnson has done is he said, Well, you know the border is an absolutely priority issue. We must not just commit more funds to it, we must also commit more action, do things with respect to the border that we are sure. Will actually happen, so we want a restructuring of policy on the border, and of course for Biden, I suspect that that is a red line. I think that he knows that if he starts acceding to Republican requests on the border, on the border issues, really does impose really tough immigration controls and that kind of thing, then it will collapse support for him within the left, on the left, uh, and within the DNC and the Democratic Party's base. So I don't see why Johnson would want to change his position. Now, in politics, anything can happen, especially American politics. There's probably going to be lots of money sloshing around in the background, you know, representatives being told, look, if we have This package will make sure that weapons that go for Ukraine are manufactured in your state and that will provide jobs for um, your people there. And of course, we all know that that's code (laughs) for uh, the fact that you get hefty, uh, 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 you know, supports from your military industrial donors, that kind of thing. So, you know, one must never, ever assume that um, Johnson is going to stick to his position. Perhaps he will bend. But up to this point, he is showing no sign of doing so. And I don't see how in electoral and political terms, simple electoral and political terms, it would make any sense for him to change his position. So that, that's, that's what I think, that's what I would say about this. Um, I think for the moment he's more likely to stick to his guns. And he's done something else which rather confirms that, in my opinion, because on the 13th, on um, tomorrow, in other words, he's going to move forward with an impeachment vote in the House, get the House to vote for an impeachment inquiry on the President of the United States. And Mike Johnson must know and must be calculating that once the impeachment proceedings get underway, they will become the dominant issue in the House of Representatives. They will suck all political oxygen out of everything else. And it's not impossible, of course, that if and when we ever see articles of impeachment drawn up, they will include issues about Ukraine. So, Everything for the moment points point. for me towards Johnson
0: not wanting Good to move ahead with this. Wait, I have not thought about that. It would be pretty strange to approve money to Ukraine if you're Johnson, whatever amount, while at the same time going after the Biden White House, including all of the Ukraine charisma. Uh, prosecutor one billion poroshenko stuff that would that would put the the Republicans in the House in a very awkward and strange uh position absolutely now
1: of course it may be that this uh Impeachment vote is the, the whole impeachment process isn't going to be taken seriously. As I said, we can't. American politics is so complicated that you know I can only, I can only look at the surface. I mean, There's no way that one can you know take off the you know the lid off the box and know all that's happening. But that's how it looks to me. All of these moves point strongly to me if you take them at face value. Which it's all it's all we can do to the fact that the House the Congress will rise on Friday and there will be no vote for Ukrainian aid.
0: Yeah, well I mean you know you Mr. Speaker of the House, you gave uh sixty one billion to to Ukraine and at the same time you're upset with uh, Hunter Biden working at Burisma uh, for an energy company in Ukraine. It's gonna it's gonna look terrible for the Republicans, Absolutely. but who knows? Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. They 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 may they may agree to it and they may spin it in some some strange and odd way. But I think for the American people, they'll, they'll look at a move like that and they'll be like, well, what, what, you, what is going on here? Um, they, they have until the 15th, I believe, yes. to, yes. to wrap this up. And then it goes to, to the next year. Exactly. I, I,
1: my understanding is it's, it, it has to be sorted out by Friday. Again, there is the option of continuing next week, you know, if, Uh, Johnson decides to extend the term. That is always, I can tell you for a fact, deeply unpopular with MPs, representatives in any country. I mean, it's not the kind of thing they would want to do. They'll all have their um, holiday and Christmas plans now and their meetings with people that they want to uh, see in their home states, wherever. So um, I'm not saying it's impossible, uh, but there would have to be a very, very uh, big deal done. And of course, Johnson who, as I said, is a canny operator, knows he sees the opinion polls. He sees that now a convincing and large plurality of Americans oppose further aid to Ukraine. And he also knows that if he does move forward with a vote for aid to Ukraine, that is going to be very unpopular with some people within the Republican Party in the House, and he knows what happened to Kevin McCarthy. And I don't think he wants what happened to Ken- Kevin McCarthy to happen to him. So I think he's navigating all of these things with great skill. Now, you know, with the caveat that there's always you know, the possibility that something might change, um, you know, politics being a strange thing, especially in America. It doesn't seem to me as if we're likely to see that change. And I can't help but think that the administration itself knows this, which then begs the question of why have they invited Zelensky to Washington? And I suspect that the reason they've invited him to Washington is partly because they do want him to lobby for aid. But just like the trip to Buenos Aires was cover for bringing him to um, Washington, so I think this device of getting him to lobby for aid to ukraine could be cover to get him to understand zelensky to understand that the reality is that aid to ukraine is now all but spent the us anyway doesn't have shells just to send to ukraine and it's shells that ukraine needs and that negotiations A freeze of the conflict is now essential. Now, a couple of days ago, a very interesting and very curious article appeared in The Guardian. And it was written by, this is in a British newspaper, it was written by a a person I've never come across before, Emma Ashford. But she is apparently based in Washington and she's clearly in some way connected with the neocons, with the administration and all of the rest. And it was absolutely startling in its admissions. It said things which I suspect you could probably still not say in the American media. And she said that we need to change the narrative, the narrative about Ukraine, because Ukraine is clearly losing the war. So let's no longer talk about victory. Let's no longer talk about uh, um Um, A um, regime change in Moscow, any of those things. Let's start talking instead about Ukraine being successfully defended from this imperialist Russian aggressor. And that way, by changing the narrative, that will make it easier for the President Joe Biden to win re-election in November. It's the first Straightforward, open, honest admission. And I think this has to have been done with um, you know, some degree of understanding of its implications. Remember, the Guardian, the online Guardian, is widely read in the United States, including by the political class. It's the first recognition that the priority of the administration now is to try to find some means to close this issue down in advance of the election in November. And that's why they're going to put pressure on Zelensky to try to get him to open these discussions with the Russians, to try to get him to agree to bring the conflict to an end in terms of the fighting and to freeze the conflict on the existing front lines. And there was another long piece in the Financial Times, also a newspaper, widely read, in the United States, the website widely read in the United States, also uh, um, a newspaper very, very close to the administration. And that article again said um, all this propaganda of success that Zelensky has been plugging over the last year and a half, well, more than a year and a half now, all this propaganda of success. Um, has completely backfired. It's disillusioning everybody. Nobody really believes it anymore. So Ukraine needs to start, you know, fessing up to what's really happening. Zelensky in particular needs to start fessing up to what is really happening. He needs to acknowledge that Ukraine is now on the defensive, on the back foot. And of course, if he does that, the implication is, he should start negotiations with the Russians. So it is not for me a coincidence that these two articles have appeared just on the eve of this summons to Zelensky to come to Washington.
0: Uh, and a third article, uh, the New York Times article that uh, yeah. dropped uh, a couple of days ago, which um, talks about uh, a plan that uh, that the the Biden White House... And, uh, and the Pentagon is, is putting together a new strategy that they're putting together in order to, to cover the failed counteroffensive. That's yes. what the New York Times yes. Yes. actually calls the, the counteroffensive. They say in the title of the article, failed counteroffensive, U.S. and Ukraine search for a new strategy after failed counteroffensive. And this article basically says that there is no pathway to, to win. I mean, it's an admission of defeat. Yes. It says we're not winning this thing. So what is the strategy now that they're trying to put together? Quote, a hold and build strategy. Dig in, hold the Russians back, build up defenses, build up weapons production, and get the Russians to the negotiating table. Whether it's uh, it's the Russians coming to us or whether we get someone, Zelensky, maybe someone else, to contact the Russians. Try to create in the next few months or the next year, try to create the conditions where either leadership in Kiev will approach the Russians to negotiate or even better for the Biden White House, where Russia says, OK, let's let's sit down at the table and negotiate so that uh, the Biden White House saves face. I think that's that's a great concern to the Biden White House. We cannot have another Afghanistan debacle. Let's make it so that we save face. Uh, the The war wasn't a failure. It was even. <laughs> That's what they want to say. It was even. Yes. even. All is good now. Uh, incredible articles that
1: have come out over the past couple uh, of days. Absolutely correct. And can I just say you're absolutely right. And you're right also to make them to use the word defeat, because note how they are avoiding it. Ukraine launched this great counteroffensive with the backing of the West. It, it failed in war. If you try and do something and it fails, you suffer a defeat. Either you win, in which case it's a victory, or you don't win and you lose, and you lose hundreds of thousands of men and machines and all of that, and you're being pushed back, in which case it is a defeat. But avoid the word defeat, Whenever you can, talk about the failure of the offensive. Don't talk about the fact that Ukraine was defeated. <laughs> talk about a stalemate. Don't acknowledge the possibility that there might be a defeat. Avoid that word at all costs. By the way, the plan. And you're absolutely right. The New York Times article. I should have mentioned that as well, because again, that that tells you what this whole thing is now all about. Try to freeze the conflict in some ways, create a North Korea, South Korea, West Germany, East Germany type of scenario along the current line of control, and then build up, tell the Ukrainians you're going to build them up, you're going to get them all the factories and all the arms production and all of that sort of thing. And of course, again, going back to what Eve Smith said, you know, all those months ago. Uh, nobody is asking the Russians whether they would what they think about all of this, in spite of in spite of the fact that the Russians themselves are, of course, making it absolutely clear. They did so again yesterday. There was a whole series of statements by Russian officials, including the intelligence chief uh, Sergei Naryshkin. Anyway, uh, even though the Russians themselves are clearly signalling that they are not interested in this. Uh, um, Idea, this type of peace, and for the record, by the way, Nariskin also suggested that the Americans are probably looking are going to find a way sooner or later to get rid of Zelensky because he 's become impossible and he just won 't follow orders. but I think that is the primary reason why Zelensky has been invited to washington he 's going to be taken aside, told a few home truths, confronted with the political realities. In Washington itself, they hope he'll be have those explained to him, not just by the administration, but by people like uh, Johnson and Schumer, and conceivably even McConnell, and hope that he'll finally go back to Kiev and declare some kind of ceasefire and um, contact the Russians and start to negotiate with them, and um, th- that that is. That is the plan. And it's not in order to enable Ukraine to win. It's not about Ukraine anymore. As Emma Ashman said in that article in The Guardian, it is about changing the narrative in order to get Joe over the line in November.
0: Yep. The the New York Times article even admits to, to steep losses in the Ukraine military. Ukrainian hospitals are already filled with injured soldiers, ambulances moved back and forth from the front throughout this year's counteroffensive. Ukraine has not released official numbers of its war dead, but the losses officials concede have been steep. It, you, you know, I think they're going to give Zelensky the message. It's either you negotiating with the Russians or it's somebody else. But we're going to wind this thing down. Yes, that's exactly right. I, 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 the Russians for their
1: part, just to say, have made it absolutely clear that they're not going to negotiate with the Ukrainians. There's a new ambassador at large, a man called Miroshnik, who's all over the place now in the Russian media. Uh, um, he's a Russian diplomat, and he's, I suspect, being positioned to head any negotiating team. That is, has that is been set up. Um, he said yesterday, or the day before yesterday, that the negotiations will be between the Americans and the Russians. And he also said he followed where Putin had led. And by the way, Norishkin also said this too, that Ukrainians, Belarusians and Russians are all one people, the Russian people. And he said uh, yesterday that the objective now in Ukraine is to liberate the Russian people from this illegitimate and oppressive regime there. That's Miroshnik's language. And that what is being fought today in Ukraine is a war of national liberation, a Russian war of national liberation. Now, you know, it, it couldn't be said more clearly than that. And it's pretty strong. In fact, it's incredibly strong. And of course, this kind of language, this kind of rhetoric, leaves no scope at all, no room at all for the kind of freeze that the. Um, americans are trying to achieve in ukraine but you're absolutely correct the new york times article is absolutely a part of this sequence and in fact you can see it. you've also had that huge washington post article about why the counteroffensive failed the one that was in two parts which Basically, blames the Ukrainians for everything. I <laughs> mean, it's, you know, well, we, 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 we at the US made a few mistakes, but ultimately it was because the Ukrainians didn't follow what well, wonderful and great advice and didn't fight the war, the offensive, in the way that we'd wanted. So you you, you say that you, know, you did your best, you did everything that you could, you now freeze the conflict. And then you move on and you talk about how this isn't uh, a defeat. It's a victory or at least a stalemate. And then you close the topic of Ukraine down until November. And that's the plan, even though, as we said, the Russians have rejected it.
0: Yeah, so I I mean, I I imagine their greatest fear, if they're even aware of this, because they never take the Russian side into consideration. But uh, the people that are aware of the dynamics of the conflict, I imagine they're... Their biggest worry right now is if the if the entire uh, front front line collapses, the Zelensky government collapses, and then the Russians just just move forward. Uh, I, I think fr- from now until the elections, that is, you know, like what happened in a way in Afghanistan, they they don't want a repeat of that, so they're trying. I guess they're trying to figure out how do we contain this, well, this throughout is- the, the the next year in two thousand twenty four, so this doesn't just blow up in our face i imagine that's their overriding concern yes. right now that is
1: absolutely their overriding concern i mean there was another article i mean we were talking about lots of articles in the western media but by the way i should say that the reason we talk about these articles in the western media is not because they are you know factual reporting of what is actually going on on the ground in ukraine it's because they tell us about the political shifts amongst western governments and specifically the american and british and to some extent the german government so that's why we deal with this but there's a long article in the london times uh, There, uh, a stalwart reporter in ukraine maxim tucker he went to the front lines near Avdevka, he met the troops there uh he basically admitted that the russians have them largely surrounded in Avdevka, that they uh, that the ukrainians are catastrophically outgunned all of that all of that we already knew but again he floated that precise scenario that you said, Avdeevka falls, the entire Ukrainian front line collapses, the Russians reach the Dnieper, they're able to advance north, cutting off the Ukrainians along the, the, the left bank of the Dnieper, they cut off the Ukrainian army in, uh, uh, in the Donbass, what's left of it, and um, Kiev itself is on the Dnieper, so if, as they push north, they eventually arrive at the gates of Kiev itself. So, you know, that's there in his article. It's there. Now, I don't know whether that's the Russian plan, but you can see that someone somewhere in in Britain, in the United States, is aware of all of these dangers and possibilities. The big question, which, of course, they don't ask themselves, is that if the Russians are winning the war, and are winning it in this big way. Why would the Russians want to agree to a freeze? They they don't seem to want to address that question. And I suspect the reason why they won't address that question is because they still think that they can, they still take a completely cynical view of Russian politics and have convinced themselves that if they can, um, that they can buy the Russians round by... Trading sanctions relief in return for um, a freeze in the conflict, and I suspect that's ultimately what this is all about. This is what you know the geniuses in the White House: Sullivan, Blinken, Newland, uh, 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 Michael McCall. It turns out the former U- Obama's ambassador to Washington, who's clearly played an enormous role in all of this. Uh, that's what probably they all imagine.
0: All right, let's uh, wrap up the video with uh, with the panic at the EU. Just a quick comment about how all of this is freaking out the European Union. Uh, they're going after the, the Russian assets. They're go- you, see, you mentioned Orbán, uh, Zelensky confronting Orbán. They have a whole bunch of meetings this week as well to try and figure out a way to to prop up um, Ukraine. I think it's safe to say that the the EU leaders understand that uh, sooner or later, the US is, is going to pull the plug on all of this, and, and they are freaking out. They are absolutely freaking out, and they do understand that the US is
1: uh, pulling the plug. I mean, uh, I mean, the absolute nightmare, of course, as we discussed in recent programs, is that Donald Trump is elected president in November and does a big deal with the Russians, and that's becoming an increasingly likely possibility. And that absolutely terrifies them. But even that which the Biden administration is now talking about, and, you know, we must assume the European leaders are fairly well informed about it, even that will make them extremely unhappy, because it's quite obvious what the administration wants to do. They want to walk away from Ukraine it's a debacle they want to freeze everything so that they can walk away and get on with winning the election the cost thereafter of supporting what is left of Ukraine is expected to land on the Europeans that's that's what the Americans are now telling the Europeans and the Europeans are now facing an economic crisis they have invested politically to an extraordinary extent, in Ukraine. And they are horrified by this scenario because what they what they feel is that the Americans are pi- passing to them a poisoned cup, which is that, you know, they have to continue to support Ukraine even as Ukraine continues to go down. So, you know, they're busy talking about seizing Russian assets. What they're now talking about is Taking the interest from the assets that were frozen, the interest that is produced, at least sending that to Ukraine, even if they can't yet, they haven't yet found a way, a legal way to touch the capital. That is already, by the way, illegal. I mean, you know, you, you it's like saying you go into somebody's bank account, you take the interest out of it and leave the capital alone. <laughs> that isn't theft. <laughs> that's that's the kind of mindset that these people now have. But anyway, that that is what uh, uh, they're now proposing to do. Um, and uh, they're also supposed to have this big aid package for Ukraine, 50 billion euros, which is, again, what the uh, US is telling them. But of course, they're running up against opposition because uh, Orban and Fidesz are coming along. and he said, They're saying to them, look, you must be joking. <laughs> this thing is a shambles. Ukraine is going down. Uh, the cost of this is off the scale. Um, and uh, the Americans are walking away. And you're asking us to cough up another 50 billion euros to help you cough up another 50 billion euros and imposing more sanctions on the Russians than the ones we have imposed before, which manifestly haven't worked. And the Europeans, of course, heavily invested in Ukraine. The government in Germany, its entire credibility now, is tied to Ukraine. Uh, They are now trying to find ways of circumventing the likely veto from Hungary and Slovakia by trying to get all the various countries, the big countries, which means Germany and France, basically, to cough up the money between them by themselves, which will not be popular with the voters in those countries. But the Europeans are absolutely freaking out over this, as you correctly said. And deep down, they know perfectly well that they cannot support Project Ukraine in any form without the United States, they know that there is a very serious risk of hyperinflation in Ukraine if American aid is withheld. I discussed that in my programme, one of my recent programmes. They know that the Russians are getting stronger all the time and they know something else, which is that if the Americans do walk away in the way that some people in the Biden administration seem to want, then... They could start walking away from Europe on a host of other things also. They might decide that the interests of the United States no longer lie so much in this massive commitment the US is making to Europe. The time has come for the US to start to disengage from Europe increasingly and to focus on more serious map questions like the Asia-Pacific region and for some, possibly even the Middle East. And that again, is for the Europeans, the ultimate nightmare. So for all these reasons, the, Amer- the Europeans are freaking out in exactly the way that you said.
0: Yeah, what a debacle. All right. Uh, I, I wonder how Alinsky going to take all of this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's in their constitution that they can't negotiate with with uh, Putin, is, it, is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, he, oh.
1: they, he issued this decree. It's certainly illegal. <laughs> and I mean, he would have to cancel his own decree, presumably. And if he went back to Kiev and told people in Ukraine that that was what he was going to do, well, I mean, where would that leave him, frankly? <laughs> they would ask, well, why did you pass this decree in the first place? And why are all of those people that, you know, you sent into the army being, you know, why, why were they sent there? And Zelensky's position is looking even ever more precarious by the day. There's now criticism in the Ukrainian media about aspects of the war which you would never have seen before. There's increasing coverage, for example, in Ukraine about this bridgehead that the Ukrainians have in Klinky. And people are increasingly asking the question, what is that all about? Why are our men being sent to this place so that they can be killed within two hours or whatever it is, dozens and scores of them every day, when it's clear that they can't advance? So you're starting to see that's moving That's started being discussed in sort of dissident media in Ukraine, like Strana, which I believe is largely based abroad. It's now crept into the Ukrainian telegram channels, and it's started to creep from the telegram channels into the mainstream media. And there's reports that Zelensky is now becoming increasingly worried about soldiers uh, protesting, armed men coming to protest in Mindan Square. There's a report about this in one of the Telegram channels this morning. So for him, hearing all of this, hearing from the Americans that their aid is ending, being told to accept a freeze is a political nightmare. It is just about the worst possible news he could hear And um, he will push back to the extent that he can. He'll probably continue to say, well, look, I need to continue the war. You led me into this mess in the first place. It's your responsibility. Um, I can't change my policy. And my guess is that he will continue to resist any proposal for negotiations. Go back to Kiev. Tell people this. Risk whatever protests about that that there might be. And hope that rather than let him completely go down, the Americans and the Europeans will nonetheless come to his rescue. A calculation that others have made before. Al-Ghani made it in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, President Thieu made it in in Saigon, in South Vietnam. They thought that if things really got back, the Americans would have to come to the rescue. And of course, in those two cases, it didn't happen. And it won't happen in Ukraine either.
0: Yeah, just one more quick comment. Uh, don't be surprised if uh, at the end of these meetings, the Biden White House comes out and says uh, we're going to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. We're united in helping Ukraine. We're going to defeat Russia. We're going to find a way to give Ukraine money. I-, I expect all those statements to to go out to to the media. Yeah, I mean, don't, demonstr- don't be surprised if these
1: demonstrations have resolved. resolved. But you know, um, Zelensky himself told Time Magazine some weeks ago. That you know, he gets, he hears all of these brave and wonderful words, and he looks into the eyes of the people, the Western officials, who tell him these things, and he knows they're lying to him. <laughs> so we shouldn't, we shouldn't be fooled either. Yeah, it all right, takes, so, It takes it takes you know. one liar to know another. <laughs>
0: it, yep, Zelensky, give uh, give Putin a call. That's, yeah. that's the yes. best advice. Yeah. If, I, yes. if I were to give Zelensky any advice, that would be the advice that I would give him. Yeah,
1: except, of course, that the Putin is... Uh, I mean, the Russians are basically saying that they won't negotiate with him, so yeah. he <laughs> might not pick up the phone. The better thing to do, actually, just just, just saying this... China. China, exactly. He should call Xi Jinping and tell Xi Jinping, look, we're prepared to go with, along with all your plans. Just get the Russians to sit down with us. And, you know, the the Chinese might, in their own interest, do that. But whether Zelensky will do this is another matter. And if, of course, if he does do it in that kind of way through the Chinese, the Americans will be furious with him. So whatever, whichever way he does it, whichever way he turns, he looks like a
0: loser. What a, what a terrible mess he got himself into. He just should have just should have done the TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that's <laughs> he should right. have I just mean, continued. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's clearly, he was clearly just disastrously
1: it. out of his depth as president of Ukraine. I mean, one just
0: has to say this. Yeah. And he's no right, church. We'll end it there. <laughs> yeah, the, no, he's no church. Well, that's for sure. He should not have listened to Boris Johnson. My God. My God. All right. Uh, the Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble Odyssey Bit Shoot Telegram. Rockfin and Twitter X and go to the Durant shop 20% off use the code the Durant20 take care